Let's dig in together uh, into God's Word, and we're going to be uh, continuing the series on uh, the songbook of Jesus that Pastor Mark uh, began early on uh, this summer. This morning we're going to be in Psalm uh, 110, and so uh, just as a reminder of why we're going through Psalms like this, the book of Psalms was quoted more by Jesus than any other Old Testament book. Any other book in the entire uh, Old Testament, Jesus quoted the book of Psalm more than anything else, and so we want to take his lead, and if he used these psalms and he used these books more than anything else in the entire law, we ourselves also need to be able to use the same things. He used it all throughout his ministry, all throughout his life, at high points, at low points. And so we as believers and followers of Jesus need to do the same thing, need to live by those same principles of if it's good enough for Jesus, it truly should be good enough for us. And so that's what I, uh, one of the heart behind of why we're going through all of the different psalms um, that was either quoted by Jesus or talks about Jesus. And this morning's psalm, specifically in Psalm 110, is one not only did Jesus quote multiple times in its life, but it actually is one of the most quoted psalms in the entire New Testament. It's absolutely uh, an integral part of us understanding, first of all, who God is, and also, I believe, through uh, Christ's example, how we need to apply God's word also to our lives. And so let's read Psalm 110 together. Um, from God's word, First, starting in verse 1, says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has swor- sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. You will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over the broad country. And he will drink from the brook by the the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Doesn't that sound like such an encouraging thing? It really is as we dig into it. So let's spend some time, uh, let's just pray. Let's go before the Heavenly Father before you dig into his word. Heavenly God, I thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for your word of how, God, not only powerful it is, but also how applicable it is. God, you, we can take your word and apply it. God, I thank you for Jesus, the fact that he lived a life and he gave us such a gorgeous, a gorgeous example of, of a life truly surrendered to your word and how he applied God's word to his life each and every day as he encountered strongholds, as he encountered situations and circumstances. And even as he faced death, God, he used your word to remind his mind and his soul and his spirit who he is in God. And Father, I pray that you will teach us that same thing this morning as we surrender our lives before your word and say, Holy Spirit, make us more like Jesus today. We just give you this time over the next few minutes, God, make us more like Jesus. We love you, we thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you've got your notebooks, um, today's, uh, we're going to be talking about knowing who you are, learning to know who you are. And you know, we are in a day uh, where I believe the church and, and true believers in Christ are, are coming to the place where we are going to have to know who we are according to God's word, because too many times we are defining who we are based on culture and popular opinion. And first of all, that changes. But 
Secondly, if we are not rooted in God's word and grounding our identity of who we know we are in God's word, we're going to be tossed about in culture. We're going to face hard times. We're going to face persecution. We're going to face trials, which I believe are coming, even in America, for those who name the name of Christ. But we're going to be tossed around when we need to, and we see Jesus in his life using Psalm 110 as a foundational psalm in his life to saying, this is who God made me to be. And so he actually, Jesus quoted from Psalm 119 multiple times in his life, and he learned these psalms growing up. And there has been much discussion on how much Jesus knew um, in his childhood growing up. But what we do know and see throughout the life of Jesus is such a strong confidence and belief of whose he was. When he was a young boy and he was uh, in the temple, what did did he say to his parents? He said, don't you know I must be about my father's business. Even as a young child, he was confident knowing of the purpose and the reason and security of who he is and whose he is, being his father's. And so we can learn a lot from this in our lives. Well, what does it matter to us? Like when we, we just read Psalm 110 and it's going like, there's a lot to that. There's a lot of words. There's a lot of um, strong words. You know, the order of Melchizedek and all these other things that go, well, what does that mean to me? Well, it's simply this. And I want you to understand this phrase. Because we, as just as Jesus did, me and you will go through periods in our lives where circumstances and trials, maybe our own family members, where we are going to have times that we doubt our identity, doubt whether we believe this whole God thing, doubt whether, you know what, am I doing the right thing? It is, does God truly love me? You know, here at CLF, we, we work very heavily in the recovery community, and we, we see people with so much in baggage and so much in their backgrounds, and, and sometimes I just wish I could impart onto them of who the Word of God says we are. And one of the things, I don't care what your background is, we are all going to hit times to where we're going to question who we are. We're going to question, do I really believe what I believe? How do I know that? Because Jesus Christ himself dealt with that. When we see in the desert, we see one of the the huge in the ways the enemy attacks us, the devil attacks even Jesus desert, a time of temptation, what did, he, what did uh, the devil say to Jesus? If you really are the Son of God, then turn the, the, this. If you really are this, then you know what? You do this. If you really are the Son of God, you need to turn the, the stones into bread. And one of, one of the things that's interesting, and we need to remember, like Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest, which is Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus himself had moments where the enemy tries to throw doubt into his mind of really are you who you think you are? And what does Jesus do time and time and time again? He did it in the desert. He did it time and time again, which we'll read about in Mark 14. He used the word of God to speak to his doubt and say, this is who I am, because this is what God's word says I am. So let's read. Turn with me to Mark chapter 14, if you have your Bibles. Jesus is standing before, at the very end of his life, he's stand, his earthly life, he's standing before Jewish people. A few hours, even minutes before, he was arrested 
by uh, the leaders of the Jewish people, the same people he came to save, the same people who he represents. He came there to save these people, and here he was. All the people he poured his life into. He poured his life into 12 men who were supposed to change the world, and what did they do in their time of most desperate need, his most desperate need? They all abandoned him. One of them even betrayed him to death. So here he is. He's invested his life into people. They're gone. The people he came to save and to love on have him in chains or beaten the snot out of him and are standing before him. And in those moments where all of the things that he's done over his life and for all of the reasons in which he came, he stands here facing people, the Son of God, accusing him of all of these things, and he asks him. And the answer to this question means life or death. You know, and I hope if me or you, I pray it never happens, but if me and you ever get to the place where we have a question, and the answer of that question is life or death, I pray that we can answer with such confidence as Jesus did in Mark chapter 14. Let's read it. Verse 61. Standing before these people, Jesus said, or uh, the passage says, Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That's a reference back to Psalm 110, verse 1. Tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. When it all hit the fan, when it all came down to it, there was a simple question and a simple response. Jesus responded what he knew in the word of God from Psalm 110. I am, and you will see it. Do you have that much confidence? Do I have that much confidence? Do I, when, I, when all mess hits the fan, do I hit the place where I go, I am this. This is who I am because this is what the Word of God says. And that's what I want us to learn from this. Like, we need to see in the life of Jesus the importance of knowing who we are within the Word of God because all of us will hit those doubts. It's not an if, it's when. If the Son of God has done it, me and you will also hit those times where we hit those doubts and go, do I really believe what this thing says? Do I really believe this whole God thing? Do I really believe that I am wholly chosen? Do I really believe that I am forgiven? And if we do not have a strong foundation in God's Word, knowing who we are, then in those moments we may not be able to answer with confidence. That's when we fall away. That's when we allow... The, the troubles of our culture and, and of our world and the circumstances to overwhelm us. But when we know who we are, when we have that confidence in who we are, we can, we can say like the Proverbs chapter 4, or uh, Philippians chapter 4, with a peace that passes all understanding. Our minds and our hearts are guarded by Christ Jesus. But it starts in, as Christ did in Psalm 110, learning who we are in God. So let's dig into the word and just see. And I want you to understand this too. Like Psalm 110 is a big deal because I want you to consider this. Why is this. Why am I making such a massive deal over this? Because Paul, he wrote in three separate books, 1 Corinthians, Colossians, Ephesians, all of them, he referenced back to Psalm 110, talking about how Jesus is the Christ and how our lives need to alter and how we need to act accordingly. 
The Peter referenced Psalm 110 on one of the most famous uh, sermons ever preached at the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. He said, this is who Christ is. This is why he needs to be worshipped. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. The author of Hebrews time and time again quoted Psalm 119, to, or excuse me, 110 to help us see the importance that we do not struggle on our own. We have a high priest that understands what we go through and has already won our salvation. He's already paid the price, so therefore we no longer live under condemnation. We live in freedom and peace and, and joy here today. Psalm 110 is so pivotal because we need to understand the God, first of all, the God we worship. Who is the God that you worship? We need a clear understanding. Like this chapter, when you see it, reminds us of the authority of who God is. God said in Psalm 110.1, The Lord says to my God, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. We don't serve a God who is timid. We don't serve a God who is just there. We serve a God who is in control. We serve a God who has all of this understanding. Like, pandemics does not get him shaking in his throne. He's already understand. Like, he knew this was coming. He prepared his people for it. And he is at work in the middle of this pandemic. Nothing happens in our lives without first filtering through the hands of God and being approved by him if we are, in fact, children of God. We need an understanding, a clear picture, a clear thinking of who God is that we are serving Jesus simply did not come to save us, but he came to rule over us. He is not just a savior, but he is Lord, and our lives need to be in submission to him. He is not only our savior, but Lord God of all. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, referencing Psalm 110. Again, Paul writes this to the Corinthian church, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who were asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after those who are Christ at his coming. And I want you to listen to this. Verse 24 says, Then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Jesus will one day make all things right. This world for a time has been released to the enemy to rule. But understand this. The God in which we serve will make all things right. We may feel like our world is in utter chaos. We may feel like the enemy is winning at every turn. But you serve a God who will win in the end. He is at work. He is at work in your life and in my life. And in the middle of a pandemic, he has not gone to sleep. He is at work. And we need an understanding. First of all, before we even get into who we are, we need to know who God is. Psalm, 19, or Psalm 110 reminds us of the God whom we serve, that the fact that he is fully in control, he is fully in authority, and this world is his, and he will make all things right. So when we get into who we are, we have an understanding. This is the God who says who we are. God of creation tells us who we are. Through the shed blood of Christ, through the power and the authority of this God, he looks at me and says, this is who you are. So let's get into it. Who are you? According to scripture, 
And I, I want to camp out here because I really believe that we have more opposition ahead. And the enemy is going to use fear and doubt to try to destroy you and to try to destroy the work that God is doing in your life. And if you do not, in these times and in these moments, build a strong foundation biblically in his word of what God's word says, this is who I am, those doubts and fear will overwhelm you. And I don't want that to happen to anyone. I want us to have a strong, strong understanding of who we are scripturally. So I'm about to go through some scriptures, and I want you to write these down. If you haven't written these down, I want you to write them down. Because here's what I want you to do. I want you to get three-by-five cards. All you homeschool moms that have had, uh, or you know, former public school moms who are now homeschooling moms and everything else, you probably have some three-by-five cards. I want you to write these passages down. And before you go to sleep at night, I want you to read these things out loud. And it will change your life. If you struggle with fear, anxiety, or doubt, I'm telling you, if you want the best way to change your life, you start reading some of these passages every single night before you go to bed. I can tell you personally, that's when something started to change in my life, when I applied that principle. And so let's dig in for a minute and understand that we live in authority and power beyond this world with, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so... According to the word, okay, we're going we're gonna to come back to the word of God. According to the word, those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus, they have confessed their sins according to, you know, 1 John 1, 9 and Romans 6, 23. We have confessed our sins before God and we are in a committed and obedient relationship with Jesus. We haven't just simply prayed a prayer, but we are in a committed and obedient relationship with Jesus. Why do I say that? Because the word itself says, Jesus said, those who love me will obey my commands. So if we are in that committed and obedient relationship with him, our lives are submitted before him, we've confessed our sins before God and are living for him, this is who the word of God says you are. Let's read them together. First of all, we are called to his hope and inheritance. Ephesians 1, and again, this is quoting and referencing Psalm 110. Bet you never knew that. So Ephesians 1, 18 through 22 says, I pray that in the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards those or towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ, which he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Again, reminding us of who God is. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only on this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things in the church, which is his body. We are not only his, we are called into His glory, we are called into His inheritance, and we are called Him, His body, the fullness of Him who fills it all. Me and you as believers and disciples of Jesus are called part of God's body. We are called to His glory and His inheritance. Like, that's a good inheritance. If you have a rich dad, that, you may have a really good inheritance on earth, but how much better is that we have been tied in through Christ to the inheritance, which is our Heavenly Father God. Like, how amazing is that? 
We are also made new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are made new in Christ. Galatians 2, 20 says, We have been crucified with Christ and have been made alive in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So we are made alive. We, our old lives have been crucified. We are made alive in Christ today. We are also fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, 14 says, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. You are made wonderful. God's works are wonderful, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And my soul knows it well. Ephesians 2 says we are made alive by God's grace and we are raised up with Christ. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. We are seated with God in heavenly places. How amazing is this? So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. We are also forgiven of our transgressions. Forgiven. Not not just a little bit, but they are nailed to a cross. Colossians 2.13 says, When you were dead in your transgressions, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. I love this little picture of, of, of Colossians 2.14. He said, having canceled out the certificate of death consisting of the decrees against us. So everything that we've done wrong, every one of our sins are written on a piece of paper. All of them are written down. And what does Christ say? Or what does his word say in Colossians? He said he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Man, how amazing is that? That everything that we've ever done wrong, that ever will do wrong, is written down. Christ took that from us and nailed it to a cross. That is what Christ has done for me and you. Our salvation is not of ourselves. Like your identity of who you are in Christ has nothing to do with who you are. It has nothing to do with your past. It has nothing to do with what you've screwed up and done wrong. Because all of that, God's already got written down on his paper. He knows what kind of screw up me and you are. He knows those bad words I've said against my wife. He knows the thoughts I've thought against my fellow person, my family members, my bosses. He knows all of those things. He's got them all written down. And according to the word of God, he's taken all of those and nailed it onto a cross. And you are forgiven. When the doubts creep into your mind, when the enemy tries to tell you who you used to be and why you're not worthy, do you know the word of God like Jesus did? Can you stand in those moments of going, hang on a second, God knows all the things I've done and they're already nailed to the cross. I'm made new in Christ Jesus. Do you understand? Do you start to see the importance of us knowing who we are in God? Knowing what his word says about us? There's going to be times where the, where the world is going to look at you and go, how on earth could you think that? You're hateful because you call sin, sin. 
you're wrong and you're hateful because you believe the word of God says this and that. No, I'm forgiven. I'm no better than anybody else. But I know who I am because of the word of God. And I will stand on his word and what he says. We're no longer slaves, but have been adopted by God. Romans 8 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, if we suffer with him, we will suffer with him. If we persevere, if we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. We're no longer slaves to our sinful man, but we are citizens of heaven. Ephesians 2 says, So then that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household, having been built on the foundation of of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, whom you are being built together into a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want you to see from this. Not only are we citizens of heaven, we are joint heirs with Christ, but we are citizens with one another. You may be living or sitting in your living room. You may not have seen any of your friends or your church members, but understand, you are still part of the body of God. You are not alone in the middle of this. Do not allow the enemy to bring doubt into your mind that you are alone in your life right now. You are never alone according to the word of God if we have submitted our life and if we are in Christ. God is unifying and making and at work with all of us bringing one body together. Do not allow the doubt to creep in to thinking that you are alone in this. You're not. You are being made a citizen of heaven. You already made a citizen of heaven. And God is in the process of building us together. Do not lose hope during this time. You are not alone and you never will be. And lastly, you are wholly chosen. You are God's own possession. 1 Peter 2.9 But in you or but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into the light. This is who God says you are. Do you know these? Take a screenshot of those passages. Put them online. Go back, rewind, take a screenshot, write those verses down, and put those verses into your spirit. And there's more. I can't, I mean, we'd be here all day if I started going through these. Romans 8 says, you know, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Like over and over and over again, God's word helps us see who we are in Christ. But if we don't know his word, we cannot stand as Jesus did. In the face of his trial, in the face of a life and death question, in the face of his persecutors and say, I am. This is who I am. And nothing you do, nothing you say can change that. This is who I am. Whether we meet in a church or not, this is who I am. Whether I have a job or not, this is who I am. No matter what you try to take from me, this is who I am. I want you to be able to have that confidence in the days that lay ahead. Use this time to study. Use this time to build yourself and build a foundation of knowing who you are in God's word. I'm going to close it out with this. Who are you called to be? 
Because we need to understand, God did not simply save you to save you. He saved you for a purpose and a reason that is beyond just your life here and now. Again, referencing Psalm 110, Colossians 3 says, Therefore, if, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Keep your eyes focused on the things that are above. Keep your eyes focused on things above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set up your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ of God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, <clears throat> excuse me, then you also will be revealed with him in your glory. So, what, so you have to understand, during this time and in your life, you need a clear picture of who God is, you need a picture of who you are, and then you need a clear picture of what you are called to be. Why are you here? The first thing is you need to live for eternity. You are called to be holy, you are called to do good, you are called to make disciples, and you are called to live for eternity. Colossians 3 says, keep seeking the things above. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Time and time again, we are called to keep our eyes focused on things that are above, things that are eternal. Not this life, not the here and now, but truly the things that are in front of us, where we're going and why we're going there. But also we're called to do something with our life. Matthew 8, 28, or Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus came to them, spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Go. Say, go. Say that with me. Go. No, I can't hear you. Say it. Go. No, I, I really can't hear you. Oh, that's right. Never mind. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even till the age. What part of that passage do you read and think, I need to make the best life of comfort and luxury I can now? What part of God's command to go to baptize and to teach, what part of that is about making the life the best part that we can now? God says, stay focused on the task that I have given you. I have told you, go and make disciples. Baptize them and then teach them. Come alongside and teach them the word of God. Teach them what my word says, that, that who they are in Christ. And I'm afraid, so, and one of the things I actually love about this pandemic is we have to, we're having to stop and go, man, what is my life really about? When all the stuff that we consist of our life is getting stripped away, we start really looking at our priorities and go, man, what have I been making my life about? And if we have to, when we as believers have to take an honest evaluation of our lives before the word of God, what does he call us to do? He said, go. He said, make. He said baptize, and he said teach. This is the call of the people of God. We have to live holy. We have to live by works, by doing good works. Not that those save us, but they should be a product of being a disciple of Christ. We make disciples. We live for eternity. But make no mistake, even in a pandemic, you are called to good works, to do not simply to sit and be idle. Not simply to make the most of your life for you and your family. You are called to be a person who...
who produces fruit and makes disciples. Ephesians 2.20 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And now here's what I want you to understand, okay? In Christ's life, he looked to Psalms 110 as a reminder of this is who I'm called to be. But no part of that Psalms is simply sitting back on a throne and enjoying all the perks of being the Son of God. He was called to action, and he was called to a purpose. God is not simply saving you. He did not die on a cross. He didn't take all of your sins and transgressions and nail them to a cross to say, enjoy life and luxury here. He called you to say, perfect, your transgressions are saved. Now go and make disciples. People out there need the hope that we have in Christ. They need the identity that we have found in Christ. Praise God that He has saved us. Praise God that He has taken our transgressions, nailed them to a cross, and they're gone. But that cannot be simply the end of the story for me and you. It's not about sitting back and idle and not doing any things with our lives. We are called to be Christ in humility with gentleness to the world around us. And I challenge you today, first of all, get into God's Word. Memorize those Scriptures. Get those things into your mind and know who you are in Christ. But the result of you knowing who you are in Christ should be a life driven to action as we focus on eternity. And I think the reason we sometimes get so idle here is because our eyes drop. And we focus on the here. But Colossians says what? Keep your eyes on things above where Christ is. When we keep our eyes on things above, the things here, first of all, don't mean as much except the souls of the people around us, knowing that they are children of God, created in the image of Christ Jesus, in which Christ came to save and bring hope and bring joy and bring a peace that they are so lacking right now. And I pray this morning that we will be truly convicted. Conviction is not a bad thing. Conviction, I, I, I love, I don't like the process of conviction. I don't like the process of God disciplining me, but I love the results of it because God means God is making us more like himself. And so I pray for you today. If you struggle with fear and with doubt of if you're truly forgiven, if, if you are truly like, I could never do what Pastor Mark does or what Brian does or anybody else, I challenge you to dig into those passages this week. Write them on a three-by-five card and every night go through them. And allow the Spirit of God to remind you and speak life into your soul of who God has created you to be. This is what God's Word said you are. And I'm telling you, the result of a life truly committed and transformed by the Spirit of God is one who is living on purpose, focused in eternity, doing good works, and making disciples. And if that is not the life you are living today, and let me challenge you, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. You can do nothing. You cannot be everything God has called you to be if you are not honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Take time today and say, am I truly living the life God has called me to live? And am I truly being who God has called me to be? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your word. 
God, I thank you that we, as followers of Jesus, can have the same confidence in our identity in Christ that Jesus himself had way back 2,000 years ago, standing before those Jews, facing life and death, but standing boldly, answering confidently, this is who I am. God, may you make us that strong. Would you give us that conviction and that, that boldness in who we are so that we can stand in the face of persecution, that we can stand in the face of trials and circumstances and go, and the doubt and the fear the enemy tries to invade our minds with, that we will stand with purpose and authority and say, this is who I am in Christ. I have been made new. I have been forgiven. I am wholly chosen and I am dearly loved. I am a child of the Most High God. But God, let it not end there. May you drive us. May you make us uncomfortable. May you push us and give us a passion to make disciples and keep our eyes focused on eternity, that this life is not what it's all about, but you have given us a call to represent Christ in a world who is so in needing of hope, who is so in needing of a peace of God that surpasses all understanding. The fact that, God, they need the forgiveness of Jesus and a life lived with purpose and with passion, knowing who we are. Lord God, may we be people of action. May we be people who make disciples, who focus on eternity, who do good works, and we live in the holiness in which God has called us to do, knowing who we are in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord God. Make us more like your son Jesus today. We pray this in faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. CLF, we love you. If you need anything, let us know, and allow the Spirit of God to change your life Please connect with us the best you can. Stay involved. Stay connected. Reach out. Do everything you can. Everything. Don't leave anything on the table. Don't leave anything in the tank. Let's live for purpose. Let's live on purpose. And let's live it with everything we got.